Father God, Lord in heaven, Christ Jesus, we are children of God. Fill us with your spirit this morning that we would all know that. We are children of God. And in heaven, there's a place for us. Because of your son, because of Christ Jesus, because of the bloodshed on the cross, we have a place. Remind us every day of that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to first thank the worship team because they are indeed a worship team. Every time I've had an opportunity to teach, not preach, to teach, my stomach gets really upset. You don't want to shake my hand right now. They're soaked. I stood back there praying and listening, and I'm thankful for these brothers and sisters who lead us in worship to prepare our hearts and minds. I hope that your hearts and your minds are prepared to receive whatever it is that the Lord has for us this morning. Not what Jim Hyatt has for you, because if you're looking for Jim Hyatt, you, you're in big trouble. Let's pray that Jesus meets us today, meets us this morning, and has something to say to us. This morning we're in Galatians chapter 6, and you can open your Bible to so it. If you don't have a Bible, Rick will bring you a Bible. Pastor David taught 1 through 6. We're going to do 7 through 18 prayerfully. And hopefully you're praying for me as I stand up here. You're in luck this morning, though. It's a repeat message. Pastor David talked on this a few weeks ago. So if you were here a few weeks ago, you can feel free to take a nap. Not pay any attention. That is, unless... You believe that if God repeats himself in scripture, maybe you should pay attention. I tried to pay attention through the entire week and be prayerful that um, he would speak to me, and he did, and he beat me up just a little bit. I don't want to beat you up, so hopefully none of this rings a bell with you. I want to get some things out of the way first before I start. I'm a little nervous. They've trapped me. They think they've trapped me. If you've ever heard me teach before, I don't tend to stand in front of this thing a whole lot. I like to come out here and talk to people because we're talking with people. <laughs> this, is, this is Rick, one of our elders in the church. That's Pastor David. You know what I think? I think you two should come up here and stand on either end. <laughs> Maybe sit there while, while we teach. In that way, the church will know who you are. Like you're, you're, you're the heads of the church, right? That's appropriate. I think that's very appropriate. Kim, this is my wife, Kim. If you haven't met her before, this is her. <laughs> Sweetheart, I noticed that um, we've talked about this before, that your head should be covered yes. in church. I actually believe that. Truth be told, I really believe that. Do you see any women here with their head covered? Do you see my wife with her head covered? You see Debbie over there? Debbie's got her head covered. <laughs> you also should be wearing a nice long dress. Your ankle's covered and your 
Should be. David, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. What you got there? You got your Bible open? Yeah, Bible Galatians chapter things. six here. Let's, let's take a look at this here. What what version is this? NASB. Oh, NASB. You know, we prefer <laughs> the King James, the original King James. <laughs> I had a very good friend of mine who's a pastor in a church tell me that we only read the King James Version, the original King James Version, not the updated. It corrects the Greek. <laughs> what? Well, it corrects the Greek. And I thought, so you're correcting Paul? He's like, yes. I just moved on. How you doing, Deb? I'm scared. I'm not going to point you out. <laughs> How you doing, brother? That's great worship this morning. But in the future, if we could do just old hymns on a piano or an organ and remain that way, that would, I, it would be more inviting to people because when you come to church, that's what you expect, right? And we want to appear like we're godly people, don't we? That's what God expects of us. How are people going to recognize that you're a Christian if you don't act godly? Let me tell you about it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. We'll start there. Father, we, uh, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds today and correct us if there's anything wrong in our thinking about how we, uh, how we do church, how we do Christianity, how we do the world. I pray that you would speak to us abundantly this morning and correct us if we need it. Verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I don't know about you, but you just stop and just check yourself right there. Do not be deceived. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let me stop right there and talk for a couple hours. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those who are of the household of the faith. See with what, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. i got to stop there. I can't read any further. Simply because they... Don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Who are they? What are you if you don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ? In verse 7 it says this. We'll back up and we'll, we'll go verse by verse because that's what we do here. If we do anything right, we do that. Do not be deceived. For God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. A huge warning not to be deceived. When you come to church on Sunday morning or on Wednesday afternoon, you better be checking 
who's teaching, you better be going through your Bible right now and making sure that Jim Hyatt knows what he's talking about and is biblically accurate. You can't know that I'm being biblically accurate if you're not in the Word yourself, can you? I have no idea what the next verse says. I have no idea what the prior verse says. Then you have no idea if I know what I'm talking about. Or if I'm just embellishing on something to make you feel good and make me feel good. You need to be in the word of God to know if you're being deceived. Christians around the world actually try to mock God. Outsiders mock him every day. Christians do the same thing, though. Some of you uh, have pens and paper here, don't you? Highlighters for your Bibles. In some churches, hopefully not here, they also have indelible markers. So the way I work when, when I'm being taught is I have um, two pens at home, and I highlight in yellow stuff that's important, stuff that really sticks to me I highlight in red. And stuff that I don't like, I take an indelible marker and black it out. <laughs> Christians do it all the time. You laugh, but we do it all the time. And I'm not sure that I want to do that or be in line with that. Let me just ignore that. You may not go as far as taking an indelible marker, although I've seen it. There are churches around who do it all the time. I see them on television usually. They'll just skip over those verses that they don't care about, that they don't want to address, that they don't agree with. I disagree with God on this point. We're not going to go there. We're going to do our own thing. You are thumbing your nose at God if you do that. Every verse, every ordinance, don't turn your nose up at God. We have to know if we're following God, not just in our actions, but in our thoughts. What's going on in the back of my mind? Are you following God begrudgingly? And why are you doing it? Sometimes it's hard, I admit that. Sometimes it's extremely hard to follow what God tells me to do. And oftentimes I fail at it. There is a difference between somebody who desires to serve God and follow his ordinances and fails at it than somebody who wants to ignore it or purposely ignores it. There is a tremendous difference, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, you don't even have to listen to me. You should listen to God. Listen to Paul. Jesus says a little bit about it himself. Do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You know, in Scripture, it talks over 66 times, probably many, many, many more times than that, over 66 times in Scripture about sowing and reaping. It's probably something we should pay attention to, right? I mean, he repeats them 66 times, at least. That was on my quick counting yesterday. In Proverbs 28.8, it says, He who sows inequity or injustice will reap vanity. And a lot of us are reaping vanity. Us, Christians, people who claim to be Christians are reaping vanity. Certainly outsiders are doing it because they don't have any desire to serve God or know his ordinances or serve anyone other than themselves. If you come to church on Sunday to get your spirit on, then go out in the world on Monday and live in the flesh, ignoring everything that you learned on Sunday, you're probably sowing inequity. And you're probably going to reap vanity. If 
you're twisting scripture to meet your own needs, you're probably sowing to yourself. If you live in contradiction to scripture, you're going to have a problem in life. Do not be deceived. God's just not talking about Paul's, not just talking about other people here. Don't be deceived by false teachers, but he's also talking to you. Don't be deceived by yourself because it's easy to do it. It's, it's very easy to do it. That's probably my biggest downfall. That's why God gave me Kim. Really? That's what God told you to do? I've told this story before, I think. You know, I was, uh, I was upset with my boss at one time, and I was sitting in a place, and I'm, I was typing out an application to another job. And I know very clearly that this is the place that God has me where I'm working now. I work for the sheriff's department. God put me here. I have no idea why he put me here, but I know that he put me here. So I was really angry one day, and I'm typing out this application. I'm about to hit the send button. Now, I'm at work. I was at at the hospital, which is also where my wife works, and she walked up behind me, and just before I hit the send button, she said, I can see you've prayed about that. (laughs) And I closed it. I was being selfish. I was being angry. I was being spiteful. It's being hateful. I did it all to myself. I can't blame anybody else for that. It was me. I was deceiving myself for my own selfish purposes. I was deceiving myself. If you live in contradiction to Scripture, and if by the way you live your life that your neighbors can't pick you out as a Christian, God probably doesn't know you're a Christian either. Don't be deceived. That's a truth. If your neighbors don't know that you're a Christian, if your coworkers don't know you're a Christian, God probably doesn't know you're a Christian either. I'm not saying you have to go to work and put everything on your desk that displays it. What I am saying is you should live your life accordingly, that every once in a while somebody should stop and say, hey, what's different about you? If somebody doesn't stop you occasionally and say, hey, what's different about you? You probably have a problem. I got stopped in court. Ever been to court? Raise your hand if you've been to court. Raise your right hand. (laughs) What do you do with your left hand? What do you do with your left hand when you're at court? Put it on the Bible, right? Every judge got a Bible on top of his desk, right? On the bench. What does the Bible tell you about swearing? Put your left hand on the Bible and swear to God you are going to tell the truth. No, thank you. Now, every judge in Lexington County knows that I won't do it. They call me up to the witness stand, and they look at me and go, you're going to affirm, aren't you? I am. Where did you get that? You're deceiving yourself. You didn't read that book to come up with that idea that put your left hand on a a Bible and raise your right hand to swear to God that you're going to tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's what scripture says, right? Let's follow that. Don't be intimidated by society or public or a judge to do something else. They'll give you an opportunity to affirm it if you ever show up to court. And most people will look at you like you're strange. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says this, Now I say this, now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You 
put into the kingdom, what you get out of the kingdom. Or you get out of the kingdom, what you put into the kingdom is what I wanted to say. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I truly believe this, that on judgment day, God's going to look at you. And everything that you've done bad goes into one pile. Everything you've done good that comes into one pile. Everything gets blown away. All that badness gets blown away, right? Because you're a believer. You're truly a believer, and all that comes back. And you know what? Jim Hyatt's going to have this little itty-bitty pile. And my reward is going to be I'm going to get to enter the threshold of heaven. I'm inside. Praise God. And my job will be to sweep the threshold for eternity. But I'm inside. Some of you are going to get to ride the Ferris wheel. Kim, because she lived with me, she's going to get to ride the Ferris wheel. And I'm going to be sweeping and looking over at my bride, and I'll be happy, and I'll be smiling. But I'll know that if I had used my time just a little bit better, maybe I could ride the go-karts. Or however that equates in heaven. There's not a Ferris wheel in heaven. Sorry. At least I don't think there is. But we'll find out. We'll find out. But our rewards will certainly be different. There are a lot of people, maybe some of you in church here this morning, who have a different view of it. I got to do my obligatory service. Sunday, check. I was in church. The really good ones, Wednesday, check. I was in church. Friday, out to lunch. Handed the waitress that track I found on Wednesday as a tip. Check. Christianity served. That's all I got. That's not Christianity. Coming to church isn't Christianity. Being seen as coming to church isn't Christianity. A Christian is somebody who desires to follow Christ. To live as God would have us live. To serve as God would have us serve. Amen? Amen. Not to look Christianese or look something else to avoid being identified as Christianese. Because it's becoming, I saw something, I didn't read the article because it made me want to be sick. Did anybody read the state daily? There was an article this week or last week about how many churches in South Carolina, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, are closing on a yearly basis. I saw the beginning of it, and I read the cover of it, and it made me ill. People don't want to come to church. People don't want to hear about God. People want to do their own thing. You know, just because I don't come to church on Sunday and I do about out in a fishing boat instead doesn't make me not a Christian. No, just because you're on a fishing boat on Sunday doesn't not make you a Christian. But the fact that I can't identify you as a Christian, neither can anybody else. That might make you not a Christian. Just because you say you're one doesn't make you one, right? Where's the fruit? We all need to do an eternal evaluation. Jim Hyatt needs to do it more often than most people, but we all need to do an eternal evaluation. And we need to decide what it is that we're sowing. Is it superficial and is it infrequent out of a sense of obligation? You know, the Bible told me so, so i got to go do this thing over here. Give me five minutes, I'll be right back. It's not going to take long at all. Then we can go golfing. Or is it overflowing because of an abundance that the Holy Spirit residing in us and a desire 
to be a part and take part in the kingdom of God. I really want to do that. I'm not great at it. Sometimes I'm not even good at it. But my heart's desire is to serve him and to serve you and serve the people I work around. A lot of times they don't see it, but that's what I want to do. In verse 8 it says, For the one who sows in his flesh will reap of the... I'm sorry. For the one who sows in his own flesh will reap from the flesh and reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's a huge warning. You know what it just said? There are two different people in life. People who sow from the flesh and people who sow from the Spirit. If you sow from the Spirit, you have eternal life. If you sow from the flesh, you have eternal damnation. I didn't say that word for word, and we'll get to it where Jesus does, in fact, say that word for word. But that's what Paul's getting at here. And Paul's not saying that to damn people. Paul's saying that as a warning. He's screaming it in this letter. Remember how I told you that this is a repeat message? It's basically the same thing that Pastor David talked about a few weeks ago. Turn to your Bibles to Galatians 5. It might be on the left side of your page there. It's a warning. 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. You know, I give that whole analogy of a war going on inside of us. Which side are you going to let win? For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. I'll tell you what, I would have loved to go on golfing yesterday. A few buddies of mine called me up and said, hey, man, let's go golfing. And I was going to go. And then I looked at my message and I said, no, I can't go. God's not done with this yet. He's not done with me yet. I can't go. Two types of people, those who reap from the flesh and those who reap from the spirit. One gets eternal life, one does not. Over there in Galatians uh, 5.16, down a little bit further, it gives you the who's who. little self-evaluation over there. The fruits of the spirit. I love this. This goes through my head all the time because of Tony. My wife's laughing already. Because of Tony Ripkema. I don't know if you know her. Beautiful lady, sings worship, writes children's worship stuff. And one of the songs she sung were the fruits of the Spirit to children. I'm not going to sing it to you, so you don't, you, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you can do that. You can sing that little song in your head and do a self-evaluation. Love, I have love. Joy, I'm a very happy guy. Peace. For the most part, patience. You know, I prayed for that once. <laughs> I'm still waiting. I don't have patience, and I know I don't have patience, and my wife occasionally reminds me that I don't. And it's something that I could either accept, I just don't have it, sweetheart, or it's something I continue to pray about. And thankfully, God's given me her and some other people in my life who remind me that you need to be patient. You need to sit and wait for God's timing. But, 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 no. Wait, patience. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
Some people might say I'm more of a blunt object than gentle. And it's funny sometimes, and it's true sometimes, and sometimes it's useful, especially in my job. It's not healthy. I need to work on that, don't I? <laughs> David's over there going, about not in my head. I'm a blunt object, and I need to work on that. I need to be more gentle in my approach to people from time to time. Self-control. I'm not going to go there. But for the most part, oh, I got these fruits of the Spirit, so I'm okay, right? No, back up. Look over here and see people in the flesh. What are my, some of my traits in the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, no, hatred, contentiousness, jealousness, outbursts of wrath, selfishness. Oh, is there anybody in this room right now can raise their hand and say that they don't have selfishness? Thank you. Dissensions. I got a problem in a couple areas over here. Now, I can look over there and put them side by side and say, you know what, I, I have many more fruits of the Spirit highlighted than I do objects of the flesh and be satisfied with that. It's not good. I want to be more Spirit-filled. These are the words coming out of my mouth. It's the words coming out of my heart. I want to be more spirit-filled. We should all want to be more spirit-filled. Overflowing is how it's described in Scripture, right? I want that to be overflowing. Now, I know that I'm not going to be perfect before I'm dead. But I want to be much better than I am right now. And if I want to be much better at where I am right now, I have to look at myself and evaluate myself in the flesh, in my selfishness, and work on that. And it's just not a self-evaluation because that's too easy, right? God gave us our wives. They can help us out. He gave us brothers and sisters in Christ who will be honest with us, hopefully gently. Sometimes I need a blunt hammer. A blunt object to hit me over the head. We all have moments in the flesh. It's not something that we should just uh, curse over and ignore in our lives, but we need to make it work, make it uh, improve on those areas where we are spirit-led and get rid of the flesh. Worse yet, if you don't see any of the things in the flesh in your life, maybe you're not making a true evaluation an honest evaluation. That's where I see it. Verse 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing good. That's interesting. Let us not lose heart in doing good. What do you think he means by that? For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And I'll tell you what I think that means. You know, you'll go through life, you'll go through your ministry hopefully all of you recognize what your ministry in the world is. You'll go through your ministry and you'll think to yourselves, the heck I am seeing zero fruit from this could be a problem it may be a problem maybe you need to address how you're doing your ministry maybe you need to talk with some friends about it or like I, I think probably most of us, most of us think through, back through our lives how many people have I led to Christ right that's, that's the true fruit that's the big, big stuff right there how many people have I led to Christ where they've done the prayer in front of me or honestly, and I know that to have happened? Not many. Not many. 
And somebody told me once, I, I had prayed with somebody, and a couple of weeks later, that, that person I prayed with was living in the world. And I was, uh, I was really bummed about it. I was working at Horizon in Massachusetts, and uh, I was really bummed about it. I really thought I had done something good. And uh, a friend of mine, Pete, just kind of chuckled, and he looked at me, and he said, that's none of your business how that person responded. I'm like, but, 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 but. he said, that's none of your business. And you don't know that it was unfruitful ministry. You really don't know. A year down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, something may click with that person because of something that you've done for something, just an act of kindness. Not necessarily words, but just an act of kindness. Or because you were my neighbor about five years ago and I moved away and I recognize that you act different than everybody else on that block. What was different about him? And then it started coming back to me. You know what? He loved me. The man didn't even know me. He acted like he loved me. He cared about me. He talked about Jesus an awful lot. And maybe that in and of itself is ministry enough to allow somebody to come into a right relationship with Christ Jesus, right? But you'll never know about it. It's not your business. It's our business to minister to people, to sow. God promises reaping if you sow. He doesn't promise that you'll see it. I know that I've planted many seeds in my life, and I don't always see fruit from it. But Kim and I talk from time to time about what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. As long as we're moving forward and we're doing it out of a desire to serve him in the spirit to grow the kingdom, we're, we're doing well. We're sowing. It may not be part of God's plan. Don't grow weary in your sowing what Paul's saying. Don't go weary, weary in doing good. Keep doing it. In verse 10 it says, so then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those who are of the household of the faith. John MacArthur points out here that the Greek word for opportunity is keros. And it's a set time or a proper time frame set time so if you think about I th did you do it once you had that line set up maybe I'm thinking of something else this line this eternal line I had a line set up and this is this is God's timeline and it went infinitively left and it went infinity light and that's that's a uh, that's Jesus's timeline that's God's timeline and Jim Hyatt's timeline is about the width of your finger and it sits right here so I have this set timeline that's that's where I exist in God's time now uh, that little finger width up there, uh, how much of that time have I been serving God? I wasn't a Christian until I was in my late 30s. I don't have a lot of time left. Some of you got saved later in life. You don't have a lot of time left. We need to use the time, the set time that God's given us to use appropriately to serve him and serve the kingdom and grow ourselves so we can help other people grow, right? How much of my lifetime have I wasted in the flesh? I don't want to waste anymore. Paul also tells us here that we're supposed to do good, especially to those who are in the household of the faith. So we're supposed to be good to our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Back up just a little bit. He says, do good to all people. Do good to all people. We're not evaluating people. Are you a brother or sister in Christ? How about you? It doesn't matter. 
If you need something from me, I want to be able to serve you. Even if you don't need me, I want to be a pleasant fellow to you so that maybe we could become friends and you could know a little bit more about me and I could tell you a little bit more about Jesus. In 11 through 17, Paul takes a little bit of a shift here. He's going to go on the attack of the Judaizers. And if you think Paul's attack on the Judaizers is something... We need to see what Jesus has to say about it. In verse 11, it says, See with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. Some commentators actually think that Paul's mentioning here about his poor eyesight, so he has to use great big letters to talk to you. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about at all here. Paul doesn't need his eyes to see. He has his ears. He has his heart. And Paul sees what's going on in the church Paul's pointing out to himself that he writes with his own hand that he's not an imposter. It's not somebody else writing to you. It's not a Judaizer. It's not somebody trying to lead you away from Christ. This is Paul. I am writing to you. See with what large letters I am writing to you. With my own hand. I see what's going on in your church I know what's going on in your church, and I need you to pay attention. Stop listening to these people. In verse 12, it says, Those who desire to make good, make a good showing in the flesh, trying to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's a powerful sentence, powerful verse that Paul put in there. What are these people doing in your life? Pay attention. Those who desire to make a good showing, to look good to other people. Not to God. Not to be spirit-filled, but to look good to the world. Those who desire to make a good showing to the flesh, in the flesh, try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted. You know, that's what I was talking about before when I walked around and said, you know, David, you really need to pay attention to the right Bible, and it would be much better if we had the elders of the church sitting up here. It would be much better if my wife had her head covered in a long dress. You know, because... Now we look good. And, and I'm not degrading anybody who does that. I'm really not. But you need to evaluate why are you putting a head covering on your head. Kim and I have done it. I really believe that she should have her head covered. And Kim did an evaluation as well. And we had a discussion about it. And you don't see a head covering on my wife, do you? You probably never will unless it's raining. But we desire to serve God and his word, and we prayed about that, and we talked about that. My brother's church in, uh, in Maryland, they did the same thing. They actually had a church-wide discussion about it. And it's interesting because now about 50% of the women in their church cover their head, and 50% don't. They prayed about it, and they talked about it. And this is where God led this one to do it, and not that one. I don't see that. I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think that that's even appropriate. Okay, we're going to love on each other. We're going to fellowship together on that. That's okay. I don't need you to look like anything else other than the way God has designed you to look. That's why I wear a three-piece suit up here when I teach. This is who I am. This is who you are. These are the people that we speak to. And we're trying to draw attention to Christ, not to ourselves, right? So you don't need to come here and look at all the fancy stuff that we got inside of here. We're here simply to teach and to lead people to Christ. 
not to ourselves, not to our own little cliques. They compel you to be circumcised to avoid persecution of the cross. So what was going on there in that time was that, uh, you know, you had the Romans, Romans who were persecuting and murdering Christians. And then you had the Jews who uh, were against them because now they're leading people away from the Jewish faith over to this. They're leading people away from God. No, we're not. That's not what we're trying to do here. But that's not their purpose. They're not having a theological argument. What they are is trying to get out of persecution. You know, if you look like this, the Romans are going to leave us alone and the Jewish church is going to leave us alone. The synagogues are going to leave us alone and we'll be okay. Stay under the radar. Don't be seen. Don't be heard. Don't be bothersome. Don't proselytize. There's many Christians in church today that don't want to appear to be too Christian. You've met them. You know, over here in our house, we don't want to appear that way because uh, we don't want to offend the neighbors. Jesus himself said his word's going to offend your neighbors. But we still want to get invited to the holiday party. What? I still want to belong to this group, and if I look too Christian, they're not going to let me hang out. I actually had somebody at work tell me that I need to be a little less Christian when I work. And I kind of laughed and I walked away. Um, that's ridiculous. This is who I am. This is more important than anything else that I do in life. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to ignore you. If that's who you think I need to be. So it doesn't bother people in your neighborhood. You can't keep one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You can't do it. It's impossible. You live by the flesh or you live by the spirit. Now, I live by the spirit and I look awful fleshy sometimes. And I do fleshy, stupid, fleshy stuff. I don't desire to do it. And when I recognize I do it, I'm doing it, I correct myself. Or somebody helps me out with it. Amen? People in the world aren't embarrassed to say we're in the world. Kim and I went and visited um, her, uh, her sister and my brother-in-law last week. They have a great big sign in their front yard. It lists out exactly who they are. We are people of the world. We believe in this and this and this and this and this, and none of them are Christianese. None of them. They're proud of it. They put that great big sign right in their yard. I thought, ooh, this is going to be an interesting visit. We knew who they are. We know who they are. We love them. They're not believers. They'll outright flat out tell you that they're not believers. It doesn't make us change who we are. We go to their house and we remain believers. I was amazed because they actually, my brother-in-law, challenged Kim, very specifically Kim. He kept telling me to shut up. <laughs> I got nothing to say. She can, she can handle this all by herself. She kept challenging, he kept challenging Kim about her faith and her biblical knowledge and why she follows Christ. I just kind of laughed. I'm like, you picked the wrong person. <laughs> she let him know. It was amicable. We got to stay the rest of the weekend. <laughs> he did fly Kim home first class. 
But they have both feet in the world, and they know they have both feet in the world. We could very easily have said, yeah, you know, we're not that into it either. We don't force this on people. We don't evangelize. We keep to ourselves. That would be a lie. For what reason? To appear good to another group of people. That's not what we're about. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus tells us there will be persecution. Now, we don't in America have the types of persecution that you read about in Scripture. But I'm telling you right here and right now, there are people around the world who experience it every single day. Kidnappings, murders, mutilations, all because of their faith. They're not hiding it. There are a lot of people hiding it, but they're not hiding it. For some reason in America, we get harassed about it a little bit, and we hide from it. If you're in Iraq or Afghanistan and there are Christians there, you get flat-out murdered. They'll take you out. Iran? Speak the name of Jesus. Watch what happens. Verse 13 says, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. So these people who are telling you that you need to be circumcised aren't following the law themselves. Because the law that they're talking about isn't even necessarily biblical law. The Judaizers had this whole book of laws that they followed, that they made up. We have people like that in America today. There are a whole group of laws that you have to follow if you want to be a good this, that, or the other thing. So these people aren't even following out these laws. They're hypocrites. Jesus responds to the hypocrites, those people who put on you what they don't even follow. Put on you this yoke that isn't even in Scripture. Jesus speaks a little bit about putting a yoke on you or not putting a yoke on you, doesn't he? Jesus talks about these Judaizers in uh, Matthew 23. Flip over there. You should read this entire chapter. I'm just going to pull out a few verses to make the point real quick. It's the first book in the New Testament there, Rick. Helping out. He's going to get me after. Verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make everyone a proselyte. And when one becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. When I encounter somebody, I want them, my true desire is that they would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That maybe they'd see a little bit of him in me, and that they desire that. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of Jim Hyatt. After they've become a believer, once they've been led to Christ, I don't want to say I did it. Once they've been led to Christ, what do we do next? We do what all Christians do. We go buy them the right Bible. We go tell them how to dress, and we bring them to the right church. I don't mention my church half of the time when I'm talking about church to people. You need to find a place where you can go and you can be fed the word. My church does it really well. But you don't have to go here. I'd love to buy you a Bible, but you should read two or three or four to find out which one you like the best. Not what Jim Hyatt says. I, I'll make some recommendations to you. Not these folks. 
they're leading you to be something other than Christians. Verse 28 says, so you two outwardly appear to be righteous men. And we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians who outwardly appear to be Christians. But inwardly, in their own homes, in their own houses, at work, outside of church, there's something completely different. So you two... <clears throat> so you too outwardly appear to be righteous men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 33 says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? How's that for emphasis? Be what you say you are. Don't be something else. Don't lead people into rules and regulations. Lead them into a relationship with Christ. That's what Christ is saying here. Jesus is saying there's not Paul and anybody else. So if you don't like what Paul said, this is what Jesus says. Look at verse 34. Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them will kill and crucify. And some of them will scourge you in your synagogues. And persecute you from city to city that, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteousness, the blood of the earth. Some from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Baraki, who murdered between the temples of the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come to pass in this generation. Jesus promises there will be people to come and persecute. It's going to happen. Paul's saying don't avoid that. Let that be a part of your testimony. Let that be a part of your sanctification. Let that be a part of your work. It's going to happen. Jesus promises it. To attempt to avoid persecution by your faith in Christ or because of your faith in Christ is to avoid Christ or to deny him. You need to make, we all need to make an evaluation. Am I denying him? Am I avoiding persecution? Am I avoiding that conversation with you because I'll be ridiculed or shamed? Or I won't be shamed because of my faith in Christ. I will be ridiculed and I'm okay with it. Knock yourself out. You're not hurting me, you're hurting yourself. Verse 14, back to where we were, it says, But many, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Matthew Henry said, Paul was so far from being offended at the cross of Christ or ashamed of it or afraid of it that he gloried in it. Yea, he desired to glory nothing else and rejected the thought of setting up anything in competition with it as the object of his esteem. We, too, need to set up our lives that way, that we are never ashamed of the cross, that we're never embarrassed of it, that we're never hiding from it, that we're never cloaking it in something else in our lives. No, we're not too jesus here. I used to refer to Kim, <laughs> old Jim, she was saved a long time before me. I wouldn't go to church with her because they're all Jesus freaks. Now I'm proud to be one. And I wouldn't get in her car because it was the rock and Jesus mobile. That woman's got more Bibles in her car than you could shake a stick at. 
Need a Bible? Ka-chow. What version? Ka-chow. She's got it, and she's always had it. I was that other guy. She was always ready, in season and out of season. She still is today, more so today. In season and out of season, she's ready. I was, I was blown away. My brother-in-law kept looking at me like I was the challenge for him. Oh, he's been to seminary. I'm not going to argue with her. I was chuckling. Like, you messed with the wrong chick. He was going to go after her. I'm like, that woman's ready in season and out. I know it. I've seen it. I'm here because of it. Bam! She wasn't embarrassed. I mean, we could have got thrown out. That was a, New Jersey's a long way to walk. We flew up there. They gave us some tickets. We flew up there, and then they were going to give us tickets to fly home. They hadn't given us those tickets yet. I mean, she very easily could have cowed out to that. Well, you know, Jim, we're at their house, and they've been entertaining us all weekend, and they're very nice people. And we don't want to Kim hammered him. I was like, oh, my goodness gracious, we are walking. I'd be glad to walk home. And she let him have it. She wasn't going to sit there and take that. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. And you'll never understand why until you become a believer. We didn't say, you're not a believer. You'll never be a believer. Go to hell. It would have been easy to do. You see a lot of people do it. See, a lot of Christians do it. That's not, that's not what God teaches us. Warns us, and we need to be about warning the world. I mean, that's not the first thing you come up to. You know, if you don't, <laughs> turn or burn. <laughs> Anybody in here use that and have it work? My brother has. He does it all the time. I can't believe it. My brother is a Bible thumper. He will take that thing and smack you so hard and it'll knock you silly. And he's just very, very, very blunt with people. I look at him, I'm like, you, how could you, how do you talk to people like that? He goes, they listen. And God just puts those people in front of us. His neighbors, like all of his neighbors know that he's a believer. He doesn't have a sign out front. He'll go and find you. He just moved into a new neighborhood. And I know exactly what he's doing. He's mowing his lawn and seeing somebody and going, oh, Oh, Tony, hi, glad to meet you. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't, you're going to burn. Let me talk to you about him for just a minute. And it works. I can't believe it. But he'll tell you, he says, you know, the Lord tells you about it and warned you about it. You think he's warning you? You already know him as Lord and Savior. No, he's trying to warn those people who don't know him as Lord and Savior. You better live your faith outwardly and you better warn the world. And that's what he does. It works. Um, there are many people in the church that he attends because Tony's crazy like that. Verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross. It's not me doing anything. It's the Lord Jesus doing stuff in our lives, right? I got to finish this up. Through the world which has been crucified in me and I to the world. Christ and Christ alone is what Jesus, Paul is saying. Therefore, neither the circumcision nor anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's not an outward appearance that makes us a Christian. It's the inward change that the Holy Spirit does within us. Amen? You surrender to him, and you become a new creation. I recognize that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. 
I surrender to his lordship. I allow the Holy Spirit to change me. And then I become a new creation in the world. Verse 16 says, and those, who will, <clears throat> and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel. Paul says that there's the lordship of Jesus and the totality of scripture and living with a biblical worldview. That's what Paul's talking about here. We need to live that outwardly, not by rules, not by regulations. Those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel. We're not perfect. God is perfect. God is perfecting us as we continue to live outwardly, outwardly, our Christian lives. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. God's doing a great work in each of our lives. We need to allow him to do it and let the world to see what he's doing. Verse 17 says, From now on let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brands and the marks of Jesus. So my final remark, the worship team can come up. It's my final remark in here. I thought about this for quite some time. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand and the marks of Jesus. And the thought that came to my mind was this. How can I call myself a Christian? How can I bear the cross of Christ and have no marks because of it? I haven't been a Christian for very long compared to some people. I have some marks on my body because of it. I'm glad to bear them. I'm not ashamed of them. I wish some of them weren't there. I'm not embarrassed about them at all. Ask me anytime, I'll share them with you. I don't think you can be a Christian, folks, if we don't have some scars. In verse 18, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit, brethren. Amen. Father, we're thankful from, for your word. And we're thankful for an opportunity to worship you. And we know we only have that opportunity to worship you because you stirred in us, Father, and gave us the ability to answer and call upon you to be our Lord and our Savior. Father, we pray that you would give us, continue to give us the courage that we not hide that, that we not become something else in appearance to please the world, but that we desire to please you and be an outward appearance of you and become more like you every day. So Father, continue to pour in us an overflowing abundance of your Holy Spirit that we may call ourselves Christians and appear to be Christians, that people might recognize not us, not what we've done, but you who dwell inside of us and draw more people to the kingdom, that your last day may come soon and that we may glory with you. In Jesus' name, amen.